Amy, on this podcast, we try to always offer useful takeaways. And if you learn nothing else from us, learn this useful parenting lesson by Pampers Cruisers 360. Pampers Cruisers 360 are the ultimate parent hack, the best diaper to use as soon as your baby starts standing or walking. Instead of ordinary diaper tabs, they have a unique 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your wild child. Pampers Cruisers 360 makes it so easy to change your baby. Who probably doesn't stop moving just because they need a diaper changed? Just slide on to apply and away they go. And fear not, parents. Pampers Cruisers 360 offers an up to 100% leak-free fit, and they just got even better with a new blowout barrier. Need we say more? For Trusted Protection Trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupons, savings, and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fresh Take from the What Fresh Hell podcast. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And today we're talking to Dr. Harold Koplowitz. He is one of the nation's leading child and adolescent psychiatrists. He's the founding president and medical director of the Child Mind Institute. He has been repeatedly named in America's top doctors, best doctors in America, and New York Magazine's best doctors in New York. And his new book is The Scaffold Effect, Raising Resilient, Self-Reliant, and Secure Kids in an Age of Anxiety. This book expertly guides parents through strategies for raising empowered, capable people by giving them the tools to flourish on their own. Harold, thanks for talking to us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for being here. That sounds good to me. Reliant and secure kids. (laughs) (laughs) Sign me up. So the Child Mind Institute has been around for many years. It provides early effective care for kids who are suffering. Can you tell us a little bit about the Institute and the work you do there? Sure. The Child Mind Institute is the only independent nonprofit in the United States that's exclusively dedicated to transforming the lives of children who are struggling with a mental health or a learning disorder. And we started about 11 years ago and modeled it after St. Jude's Children's Hospital. So St. Jude's Children's Hospital, what's important about it is that they were laser focused on tackling uh, pediatric leukemia, which about 60 years ago, you lost 94 out of 100 kids who got that disease. And today, only four The mortality rate is you still lose four out of 100. Oh, I got goosebumps. That's incredible. Right. And it was started, by the way, it's interesting, by a TV star who wanted to be a movie star, Danny Thomas. And he prayed to St. Jude, who's the saint of hopeless causes. And he said that if I can get this part in a movie, I will build a children's hospital for kids who have cancer. And he got the role. He never became a movie star. He was a very famous TV star. But he built this children's hospital and, you know, essentially said no child should die in the dawn of their life. And today, this hospital, if you don't have insurance and you have the right cancer, they will treat you for free. It is quite an enterprise. But it's important to note that there are only 15,000 kids in America who have cancer. And there are 17 million who have a mental health disorder. That means everyone listening knows and loves one of these children because it's one out of five. So if it's not your son or daughter, it's your niece or nephew, or it's your best friend from college's kid, or it's your kid's best friend. The most common set of disorders for childhood and adolescence are mental health disorders. We thought that we should establish an independent nonprofit that would you know, work with everyone, but wouldn't be owned by someone. It turns out that one of the most important things we do is public awareness and public education. So childmind.org 
is a, a website that's had 58 million visitors and gets about 1.6 million unique visitors every month. And it gives you scientifically sound information on parenting when you're worried about your kids' behavior, emotions, or learning. We really see ourselves as doing, you know, transforming the lives of these children and hopefully waking up America to recognize how real, common, and treatable mental health disorders. And the Scaffold Effect, this book, basically comes out of the work we've been doing at the Child Mind Institute because it's so essential to work with parents, especially when a kid is, is having difficulty. I mean, for most of us, I'm sorry to say, because and some of my vignettes of my parenting are in the book, it basically is don't do this at all. <laughs> but we're able to do things and not be as timely or efficient. And yet when you have extraordinary kids or kids with extraordinary needs, you have to be better than average. You really do have to scaffold your kids. You really have to be uh, the type of parent that gives them, you know, structure and support and encouragement. And having Amy and I both having spent some quality time on the site before we ever knew we would be interviewing you, it's not just for kids who are on what people might describe as the severe end of a spectrum of this stuff. There's useful information for all parents on this site. Yeah, you know, when I was writing the book and actually when I read the book out loud for Audible, I kept thinking to myself, oh, you know, <laughs> why wasn't I this smart? When I was <laughs> you know, so and I keep thinking, by the way, thank God my wife was. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's and I think the way to think about this is that, you know, we are building a building, you know, being a parent, I think is I tell my oldest son all the time on his birthday, best day of my life, you know, really loved getting married. But the thing that transformed my life was the day I became a father. I distinctly remember the feeling of, you know, holding him in the delivery room, looking at him, being amazed at how much he looked like my mother and my father-in-law, and just the joy of, you know, it just leveled me in a way of saying, this is now what's really important. And it's not that when I had my second son and my third son, it was different, but it was transformative when you became a parent. And I think that, you know, it's a big and very important role. There is no license to become a parent. And yet, I think we have to think carefully that, you know, the child is a building. And while the child is developing, it's our role to, to scaffold them, to help support them as they're going up. Now, it also means, by the way, that we have to accept what the building is going to look like. That's the hard part. Yeah, I want a skyscraper, my kids a ranch. But I think that there's some simple pillars that we have to think about, you know, on a regular basis, that it's our job to provide structure. And particularly now with COVID, it's even more so, you know, establish routines, house rules, ways of thinking, clear communication style. We need to be supportive. You know, we have to have emotional empathy and we have to validate our kids and we have to encourage them. So those are the three most important things we have to do. And, and we have to think about that a lot. And when we talk about support, you know, there's no teasing. You know, this is a one-way street. We shouldn't tease our kids. We should be supportive of our kids. That doesn't mean that we should exaggerate their assets and minimize their deficits. It means we have to be realistic, but we have to be supportive. And then there are planks that we think about the scaffold, right? There are pillars and then there are planks on it. And we have to be patient, which is sometimes very, very challenging. And you have to have warmth and awareness. And there has to be a certain amount of dispassion. Remember I said, you know, it might not be a skyscraper, even though you're a skyscraper, you have to be dispassionate. You have to stay calm, no matter how upset you are. My oldest son was eight years old, and he went to sleepaway camp. So off he went, and we went up there on visiting day, and he just looked at us, and he hugged us a little too hard. 
And I said, what's the matter? He said, I want to go home. So we walked into the woods to have a conversation. And he turned to me and he said, there's no one here to love me. I was so overwhelmed that my eyes got wet. And my son said to me, Josh said to me, dad, don't cry. It's okay to be upset, but not when your kid is upset. When your kid's upset, that's when you have to be dispassionate. You mean, that's a mistake, right? You don't want him to take care of you. You want to take care of him. And so inevitably, we do make errors. But if we can go back and learn from those errors so that you think to yourself, okay, you know, I am patient. I am definitely, you know, maybe overly warm parent (laughs) and I'm aware, but I need to do some work on dispassion. I don't want to overwhelm parents. I think parents are working so hard now. They're not only inside the house, which was already difficult, but they're a tutor, they're a teaching assistant, they're a playmate. There's so much more and they're overwhelmed themselves. Exactly. We have to remain dispassionate about the strife that is all around us right now. Correct. And also to be able to describe it to our kids in developmentally appropriate language. But I think the first thing that everyone has to do, especially now with COVID, but on a good day in America, is that you have to secure yourself first. I remember thinking every time I was on an airplane and the flight attendant said, you know, when the air pressure goes down and the masks come down, please put it on yourself first and then put it on your child. And I thought, oh, that sounds so wrong. Of course, I'd put it on my child. But that's not right. Because if you put it on your child, and then you get lightheaded, you won't put it on yourself. Or if you don't put it on yourself, you can't take care of child number one, two and three. I think self care is overlooked. uh, Because parents think they should put their kids first. But this is a time where there's got to be a checklist, right? I have to exercise, I have to sleep, I have to eat some green food. I have to have some affection in my life. There is meditation or alone time. I mean, there's so many things that we have to do to keep ourselves well. And therefore, we can then take care of our kids. And it's, again, the same plank, you know, scale back to a doable schedule, slow down and take breaks. That's the patience. You know, be warm to yourself. Remember that, you know, just like me, I'm an imperfect human being. I shouldn't have gotten weepy you know, when my kid was upset, you know, that doesn't make him feel better. It's kind of interesting. My son has said, I don't really remember that. (laughs) And so I'm thinking I'm tortured. (laughs) Always. I am tortured. The other thing that, you know, about being dispassionate, how about when your child has a fight with some other child and the other child is really mean to your child, right? You know, I'm ready to take a contract out on that child. So you're saying that's not correct. (laughs) No, it's not correct. And on top of that, you know, two weeks later, your kid is playing with that child and you keep like saying, what are you doing? We don't like that child. Like, don't get near that monster. And that's being dispassionate, right? That doesn't help your child to take up his battle and to hold and tell him to hold on to a grudge or to be insulted for him. So I think it's the kind of book that you read and you go back to and you take these steps of saying, okay, you know, if things aren't going well, we'll draw a new blueprint. I think about this concept of scaffolding very much even when you kids in trouble and you have to go to a mental health professional. You have to accept that something is wrong, right? And great parents recognize their kids' deficits and recognize they need a scaffold, right? But the important part is that you can't just be so overwhelmed that you go to the first therapist that your pediatrician recommended and you're too passive. You don't ask them, you know, how many times have you built a kitchen? You know, how long will this take? How much will it cost? And when they tell you, oh, I only do bathrooms or I only do, you know, skyscrapers, you have to say, well, thank you. 
I have to go to someone else because my kid has an attention problem and I need someone who knows how to take care of kids with attention difficulties, behavior problems, not someone who tells me, oh, I don't know how long this is going to take and we're going to just play it by year. A parent has to say, I have to know that the scaffolding I'm putting up is strong and that it's going to be helpful to my child. Right. And I think there's a starting place issue there. And we're going to talk about that after this break. Margaret, exciting news. I am about to have a new baby nephew. And believe it or not, this will be my 13th nephew. Amy, you're ready to give up your amateur status. You're a pro (laughs) aunt at this point. Our family has seen a lot of babies. And as soon as they start standing or walking, I send them all a whole lot of Pampers Cruisers 360. Pampers Cruisers 360 don't have ordinary diaper tabs. Instead, they have a unique 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your newly mobile little one. Pampers Cruisers 360 offer a gap-free fit that is up to 100% leak-proof, crucial once your baby is quite literally up and at them. And that gap-free fit helps prevent your baby from taking off their diaper, a habit you do not want them to get into. You can say that again. And Pampers Cruisers 360 just got even better with a new blowout barrier. Need we even elaborate on the need for that, friends? For Trusted Protection Trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is... Toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. We agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. (laughs) But all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to Hero.co and use the code MOTHERHOOD at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code MOTHERHOOD for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. I find in talking with fellow moms and dads that this idea of scaffold it. You're scaffolding. You're not the architect that I say often to our audience. I was quite surprised because I thought having a baby was like being given a lump of clay to mold into what I wanted it to be. And I was, I genuinely remain surprised by how much it's much more like someone handed me a human being. Right. <laughs> that has their own needs and wants and desires and challenges. And who looks like you, who might look exactly like you. Yeah. 
and reminds you of you and reminds you of people. But my idea that I am going to mold a child into anything is so fundamentally wrong. I think this metaphor of the scaffolding is really meaningful in that way that you're not the builder. You're there. You're supporting. Yeah, the DNA is, you know, it's packed in already. But do you know that your uh, lump of clay example is really what child rearing was thought about in the 1920s, 30s, and 40s, even part of the 50s. Tabula rasa. It was a blank right, slate. exactly. And, you know, so it was nurture was everything. Nature was nothing. I have a sister who's six years younger than me and happens to be adopted. And my mother was a Holocaust survivor who was in law school before the war broke out. And then after the war, she got a graduate degree in social work. Mm -hmm. And she was convinced that she was going to, you know, mold my sister into a version of herself. And my sister Mm -hmm. was stubborn. And my mother and her would fight in nursery school over what shoes she would wear. This sounds familiar to me based on my own story. And, you know, and my mother would forced her to put the shoes on and then she'd put her in the car to drive her to school and my sister would roll down the window (laughs) and throw the shoes out on the highway. My mother was determined to build a skyscraper and she needed to draw a new blueprint, you know, and some of the ways we instinctively parent children aren't actually very effective. Let's talk about that. What are some of the ways we get this wrong? So negative tracking. So we really want to fix things, right? So we notice what's wrong. If you're always on kids about what they shouldn't do, you're not teaching them what they should do. You know, put your napkin on your lap. Please don't talk with your mouth full. I mean, all insignificant off-task behaviors that should be actively ignored. We also have something called confirmation bias. So we believe you're always right. I mean, you believe that you're right. So this creates negative you know, self-fulfilling prophecies for quote unquote bad children Mm. and causes anxiety in good children who struggle to live up to their hype. So if you can recognize that you're doing it, right? So how do you build a new blueprint? So first of all, the structure part of it is you notice all of your child's behaviors, Mm. not just the negative ones. And you aim, the sport is you aim for three to one ratio of positive versus negative feedback. Yeah, it's not easy. It really is. For a while, all my kids were living in a house out in the country with us during COVID. They're in their 30s. And I found myself sitting at the table thinking to myself, I can't believe they don't put their napkin on their lap. Or one of the kids does speak with his mouth (laughs) full of food. (laughs) And I was about to say something. I thought, you know, the chicken is done. You know, there's no, this is not effective. You know, for me, instead, to compliment them on a funny story or for sharing some impressive insight or describing what they're doing with work and how they're managing to do it on screens makes a lot of sense. So if the only thing you take away from this is three positives for every one negative, and then last is encouragement. So you need to cheer on yourself as much as you cheer on your child. And that we forget to do. What's an example of that? Well, I would tell you that If you have been able to do the three for one, Mm -hmm. you know, and you've been monitoring it, and it's really important to monitor because if you don't monitor, you really don't do it. Right. You think you're doing it, but you're not. Right. Right. At the end of the week, it's a good time to say, you know what? Someone has to pat me on the back. Don't tell it to your child. Say that to your spouse or partner. I really did well. This turned out to be much harder than I expected. 
that's positive, you know, it's positive reinforcement. It's a basic skill of behavioral therapy. My kid's school has started sending home notes and at the top of it, it says, I caught you being good. And that phrase sticks with me. Like instead of the idea of the teacher is there to make sure that they yell at the bad kids, that there is this, you know, and you get the note every couple of minutes. Like I saw that you saw that your friend didn't have a pencil and you shared your pencil. And that phrase means something to me. I keep thinking of it with my own kids. You know, I have three kids. It's a busy house. And often it's the reason we do this is because it's so much easier to only deal with like, okay, who left their shoes here rather than constantly, you know, you have to work a little bit harder to catch them being good. Yeah. I, in the book, I talk about catching your kid being good and labeling praise. So what is label praise? It means be very specific. Don't just say good job, Mm. because what you really want is to label praise in a way of effort. So for instance, a child who really studies hard and you watch and you see how much homework and how much preparation they've done Mm -hmm. for a test in a subject that's difficult for them, and they manage to get a C plus or a B minus, that should be celebrated. Effort should be celebrated. Now that's not you know, the flip side of that is, oh, we celebrate everything. The kid came in eighth. Right. Participation trophy. Right. We are celebrating genuine effort. This was hard. It was a lot of practice. And you conquered that. You want to praise effort so that, you know, the child who runs the race, you know, the kid who really endures really should be praised. And that's the same for us. So that if you didn't do three for one the whole week, but you did three for one five times during the week, that's, you know, good. That's a great start. Right. Catch yourself being good, too, not just your kids. Good, right. And so if we think about those planks now, the planks should have an open plan. So if you're building a new blueprint, right, the patience is that it may take a while, but stick with it. Once the change is set in, once you start doing three for one positive comments, that will become the new normal. It's particularly easy for kids to change because their brains are much more fluid and almost mushy. And old people, you know, people over 24, I hate to tell you that's old. Uh We accept that. But when Hertz lets you rent a car, you're in trouble. I mean, (laughs) it's kind of over. But, you know, take one of your kids, put them in China and come back three months later, the kid's speaking Mandarin. You put me in China by myself and I'll be doing sign language and eating a lot of rice because I won't figure out how to say chicken or fish. So I think you have to realize that it's harder for us to change our behavior, but it can become a new normal. And then the warmth is be the person your child can count on for kindness and compassion. If your child's counting on you for correction and for, you know, sit up straight, you know, put the napkin on, it loses everything. All that wasted interaction instead of, boy, thank you so much for cleaning up today and for taking your plate into the kitchen. You know, you have to catch them and label praise very specifically. And then awareness. Ask yourself, am I only seeing what's wrong or am I focusing always and always being right? I mean, parents, look, we can be right compared to our kids. Our we're more verbal. It's an unfair fight and it doesn't win anything. You know, winning that fight doesn't gain anything. Can I ask a question about the blueprint? Sure. Because I understand in this metaphor that child is the building and that we're the scaffolding and that we're not in control of what shape the building takes. The scaffolding supports the shape. It doesn't control the shape, but the blueprint kind of does. And so I'm thinking right now of I have a child who's going off to college in the fall and my spouse and I are talking about like, do you steer him towards a certain major or do you let the kid, you know, 
sample and try and fill and do whatever they want. We have differing points of view on that. But when my child sets down to do sort of a blueprint of their college years and what they want to accomplish, am I the pen? Am I the sitting at the desk with him? <laughs> am I the paper? Like, what is my function? We love extending a metaphor. <laughs> no, no, but let's think about that. But just remember what we were talking about. We always go back to structure, support, and encouragement. So the structure is that once your child's in school, it might be very helpful to say, you know, have you looked over you know, the courses, do you have any idea? Would you like some assistance? Or I'd enjoy looking at this with you. And if they say, no, I got it under control, you have to step back. But then it's again, being supportive and saying, you know, I'm really impressed with the way you're handling this. But he knows or she knows that they can come to you if it starts to fall apart. I think most kids, particularly when they go to college, want to continue having the structure and support and encouragement of their parents. But I think you have to back off, Mm -hmm. you know. Let's take a break. When we come back, I want to talk more about what happens when your child's building doesn't turn out like you thought it would and how you deal with your own feelings as a parent about that. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E, lumen.me, and use the code FRESH at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. Hello, Hellions. You know we listen to a lot of podcasts that aren't our own, and today we want to tell you about a podcast that really speaks to us and will speak to any parent of a child with special education needs. The podcast is called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. One of my kids has an IEP, and I found this podcast so validating and so helpful. I feel better equipped to advocate for my child's educational needs now. This podcast is helpful for parents in many different situations, whether your child already has an IEP or you're just starting to wonder if they might need extra support in the classroom. Juliana has content for kids of all ages and for kids who are learning English as an additional language as well. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Harold, I love in this book that you say that we need to accept our child's building for what it is, even if it seems strange to us, because when it's all done, our child will live in it and we won't. Yeah. And I wanted to talk about that because what happens when you see your kid making decisions? I don't mean dangerous decisions. I mean, I don't know, like majoring in making God's eyes out of yarn when you think they should be majoring in history. 
No, but it could be even more subtle than that, you know. And I think it's, you know, the nice part is that you have 18 years while you're watching what your kid's passions are. You want your kid to have passion and you want your kid to have real genuine interests. And again, you do have to want to go back and say, I'm going to get structure. I'm going to be supportive and I'm going to be encouraging, even though this is not coming out the way I thought it would. So I'll use myself again. You know, my oldest son is socially reticent. It was certainly surprising that in high school and then in college that he got passionate about being a DJ. A DJ, okay? Someone who stands up there. (laughs) I have a DJ kid too. And it certainly wasn't what I thought of. Do you mean he was a great science student? I didn't understand why he didn't want to go to medical school. But, you know, it was his path, right? Yes. And he was taking charge. He was taking over the blueprint, so to speak. And he said, no, I'm going to try this for two years. That son runs a private equity firm today. And if you would have told me, you know, I wanted a doctor, right? right? You know, I wanted someone to, you know, to talk to about medicine. And then he made me convinced that we were getting a DJ and he changed directions. The ranch turned into, you know, a McMansion or into a split level. I'm not sure what it is. And at a certain point, we have to go back to, okay, I'm going to give structure. I'm going to give support. I'm going to be encouraging. I'm going to try to be patient. And I'm always warm and awareness and I'll try to be dispassionate. The dispassion is very difficult for a lot of dads. <laughs> you know, it's like, what the hell are you doing? Yes. Do you mean it's like that's your inside voice for your head, not for inside your head, not for coming out of your mouth. So. Let's talk about that a little bit for ages and stages. How do you talk about this with, you know, a lot of our audience has four or five, six year olds. It feels like there's a lot more things you do have to say to a four year old. I'm in charge. I know best. And you're not going to lick the light bulb over there. Right. And so, again, the way you structure a little kid, you know, I have a very young um, grandson. He's only a little bit more than two. And I watch, you know, his parents, you know, they're just naturals at this. But there is this attitude of, of course, there are certain things he can do and there's certain things he can't do. Right. There is structure. They are really strict about what time he goes to sleep. And what, when activities die down and why sleep is really important. And they're pretty strict, in my opinion, about food, too. You know, that he seems to have a really balanced diet. Now, there's no doubt he still has a sweet tooth, but there seems to be the idea of, okay, structure, you know, support and encouragement. Mm. And I think it's much easier. I think it's much easier to do for little kids than it is for school age kids. I think it starts to become more difficult when kids are age seven and parents can begin to shift from just being fixers to consultants. And you don't have as much control. Yeah, you can remember in our DNA, we were talking about, you know, I don't want parents to become concierge parents. I want them to be scaffolding parents. That's very different. And what's the difference? Well, a concierge parent says, you know, let me fix uh, this paper. Let me get you a better table in the restaurant. Let me even get you into college with the Varsity Blues. You know, let me manage your life. And if you're unhappy or uncomfortable, just tell me about it. I will get rid of the discomfort. People sometimes say snowplow. It's like you're getting everything out of the path. There's no conflict. Right. And the concierge, I think, is even more specific with the scaffold. We're putting up a scaffold that's going to give this kid a tremendous opportunity to play the piano and to express his musical gifts. But at the same time, he has to do it. So you can't sit down at the piano and play the concerto for him. And so I think that, you know, to empower growth, We have a comfort zone and we have a growth zone and then we have a danger zone. And so, of course, all of us, 
you know, in our comfort zone, we're very proficient with what we're doing and we feel secure. And when we turn seven or six, second grade, you know, first grade, we're able to start encouraging our kids to get out of their comfort zone, to learn new things, which means that, you know, they have to leave the comfort zone and go into that growth zone. If we push them too far, if we put them into a danger zone, they shut down, right? If you ask a kid to participate in an activity that's way over their head, they're going to feel frustrated. They're going to feel like failures. They're not going to want to do it. So mm. that's what I mean by a consultant. All of a sudden, we're not a fixer. We're a consultant. And that really works for most kids. And does this apply even to kids who aren't neurotypical, who are crippled by anxiety? I mean, some of the examples we've been talking about are kids who sound like they are extremely confident. How do we provide scaffolding when our kids need more support than the typical kid. Well, I think if anything, the pillars and the planks become more important, right? Right. So we have kids at the Child Mind Institute who are selectively mute. In fact, we treat more kids with selective mutism than anybody else in the world. It's a variant of social anxiety disorder. So for all your listeners, what does social anxiety feel like? The next time you go to a cocktail party with your partner or your spouse, and you don't know anyone, and you walk in and you say, oh my God, I don't have anything to say, who's going to talk to me, and you make a beeline for a bar. That's a socially anxious moment. If you exponentially exaggerate that, social anxiety disorder occurs. So a kid will you know, not raise their hand in school because they don't want to look foolish, and it's better to be silent than to be wrong. Kids who have a more severe case of social anxiety disorder literally do not speak. They talk to mom and dad, they might talk to a friend, but they don't talk to anybody else. And the way we treat that is with exposure response prevention. We put them in a classroom, a simulated classroom, and we let them get success with either shaking their head yes or no. We then take them to pointing their answers out on a sheet and they get labeled praise. And by the end of five days, they are ordering ice cream from a stranger. And we're videotaping this so the parents won't believe it unless we show it to them. <laughs> and that is exactly what we're supposed to do with any child, with getting professional help, obviously, but the parents become part of the journey. You need to be better than average parents when your kid is struggling. Mm. So, you know, a mild case of this, you know, of social reticence, poor Joshua, he was my first child, he was very shy. And so we would work on how do you shake hands? You know, it's like a puzzle and you look someone in the eye and you look at them long enough in the eye to tell us what color their irises were. And you learn how to ask you questions, because just think how much helpful this would be at the next dinner party you go to. Ask three you questions to your right and three you questions to your left. Where did you go to school? Where did you get that beautiful blouse? Where do you live? People like to talk about themselves, but not everyone naturally knows that. And so wouldn't that be a good idea to be able to, again, use that structure and that encouragement and give those skills. Not everyone has the same tools in their toolbox. I have to tell you, we're challenged more than ever now because we're so on top of each other. Right. Yes. I mean, you know, I can't imagine, you know, I would love to have dinner with my kids, you know, every other Sunday. Having dinner with my children every night, <laughs> this is really, this is a challenge. And Doctor, it's not great. I'm not going to lie. Your instincts are right on there. It's kind of challenging. Right. So therefore, I am a very optimistic person. But I think that there are opportunities that we have to handle properly 
because of COVID. I think that parents have to use that scat. You know, let's have a routine. Let's get up every morning at the same time. Let's have normal, you know, hygiene. Let's all brush our teeth. Let's eat breakfast together. And if we can't eat breakfast together, let's make sure we eat dinner together. Let's provide that routine and structure for our children that Wednesday is pizza night, that every Friday is going to be a movie night. I think if ever there was a need for pillars and planks, it's right now. And one has to also understand that self-care moment where if you're losing it, you say to your kid, you model and say, you know what? I need a break. I'm going to go to my room. I'm going to do some mindfulness. I'm going to call my mom. I'm going to read a book of poetry or a novel for a while. It just, I got to escape and then come back and say, I feel so much better. Or I went to take a walk. Listen, when I wrote the book, I wasn't thinking of COVID. Right. But if there was ever a stressor that needs a structure for parents, and I think that's really what this is a way of thinking in the same way that we could ferberize our kids so that they could sleep through the night. There has to be a style of parenting that we can rely on that and we could turn to when we think, uh oh, you know, my blueprint's not working or this technique is somehow I'm being very negative all the time. My interaction with my child is really unpleasant. How do I reset? This book is perfect for that moment. Yes. And in that vein, tell our audience where they can find you, where they can find the book and start bringing this practice into their lives. The book is available everywhere on Amazon and at your favorite independent bookstore. And on top of that, you can go to childmind.org and you can order the book through the Child Mind Institute. It's important to note that all of the author proceeds are going to the Child Mind Institute, which is an, you know, an independent nonprofit. Fantastic. And uses our money to expand our research and offer financial aid. And there are, you can also go to our Facebook page where there are many different talks about the scaffold effect, which we're going to be doing on Instagram and on Facebook Lives. The book is called The Scaffold Effect, Raising Resilient, Self-Reliant and Secure Kids in an Age of Anxiety. Dr. Koplowitz, thank you so much for talking to us today. Thanks so much. Oh, so much fun. Thank you for doing this. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Margaret, it's an exciting news day. An exciting news day indeed, Amy. A few years ago, we launched our first spinoff podcast, Toddler Purgatory, hosted by the hilarious Blair Brooks and Molly Lloyd. And guess what? Now, Blair and Molly are back 
with their all-new podcast, Unsticking It. You know Blair and Molly as two busy moms and actors, and somewhere between potty training and the pandemic, they both felt like they lost their creative kaboom. In their new podcast, Unsticking It, they are going to talk about how all of us can get back to what lights us up after motherhood. Amy, I need this. Me too. And Blair and Molly will be talking to fellow imaginative minds. We're talking actors, artists, and creators of all kinds about how we can all unstick ourselves from whatever muck we're stuck in. Follow, subscribe, and listen to Unsticking It wherever you get your podcasts. That's Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life stucks.